योगेन चित्तस्यपदेन वाचाम मलम शरीरस्य च वैद्यकेन योपाकरोत्तम प्रवरम मुनीनाम पातंजलिम प्रांजलिरानतोस्मि I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of body through medicine. So, in the last class, we were discussing on the various afflictions, the panchaklesha. which has been spoken of in the sutras which we have already studied in the second chapter in the very beginning of the second chapter the third the fourth sutra speaks of the pancha klesha that avidya asmita raga dvesha abhinivesha the first comes the ignorance the moment the self which is beyond all limitation which is beyond all want which is the conscious principle because of its association with the prakriti how it happens we don't know and that's why it is called ignorance because of its association it starts thinking that it is that limited self the reflection of the purusha in the prakriti is being conceived as the individual identity the individual individuation happens that way and that results in ego from the ignorance comes asmita the moment the asmita the ego comes into picture we find the self which is beyond all afflictions is now as if afflicted <clears throat> the changes in the prakriti is being conceived as as if the changes in purusha purusha is beyond all changes but it thinks that it is being affected by whatever changes is happening in prakriti to give an example when the sun is shining and its reflection is on the thousands of waves on the ocean the one sun appears as the thousand reflections not only that the sun which is beyond all distortions with the movement of the waves the reflection may appear to be elliptical to be oblique the sun which is spherical appears to be elliptical appears to be oblique its shapes gets deformed in the reflection but actually there is no as such distortion so similarly the self which is unaffected appears to be affected in the association with prakriti just the example which we were giving in the last class just if you have placed a red flower in the proximity you have placed a red flower in the proximity of a prism and the prism appears to be red there is actually no redness in the prism 
but it appears to be erect. Similarly, the self in association with the Prakriti, the Prakriti gets tinged with the consciousness. The Prakriti which is inert, the mind which is actually inert, appears to be conscious because of its association with the Purusha. And at the same time, whatever changes is happening in the Prakriti, the Purusha conceives as if those transformations are happening in him. And that results in afflictions. From the Asmita, the what are the three afflictions which ensues? Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. So the common small example which we were citing in the last class, which was the example that even what to speak of a human being, you just to take a small microbe. In a petri dish, the microbes are moving around randomly and you're looking at it through the microscope. Now you drop it, just a small drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish and you will find the microbes which were moving randomly is now as if moving towards it. This is moving towards the nutrient. So what has happened? The Purusha, the conscious principle in association with Prakriti has now identified itself even with a small microbe. And now anything that nourishes that microbe body, anything that sustains that microbe body, the Purusha thinks that it is being sustained by those stimuli, by those factors. And it is drawn towards it. And that is the Raga attachment. Anything which is not favorable for the psychophysical existence, which is, which proves to be disintegrating to the psychophysical existence, it runs away from it. In place of the nutrition, in place of some food, if I put a drop of toxin there, just the opposite thing will happen. You'll find that the microbes are moving away from it. So that speaks of the fight and flight response. If I have the strength, I fight through hatred, through animosity. And if I find that the disintegrating factor is stronger than me, it is overwhelming, I myself fly away, run away from it. There's a flight. So this fight and flight response speaks of dvesha and abhinivesha. So you will find that always Abhinivesha is being translated as clinging to life or fear of death because that's the thing which we cannot avoid. It is there. It is in this life of uncertainties, the only thing which is certain is death. Today or tomorrow or in years together, whatever it may be, it is there waiting for us and we don't want it. And we always try to fly away from it. That's the flight. And that's why this clinging to life or the fear of death has been equated with Abhinivesha. Though in general, it actually indicates the flight response. So now you find that how nicely the Yoga Sutra is indicating these five afflictions. This ignorance is the cause, the other four follows one after the other. That was spoken of in the fourth sutra. Now, from the fifth sutra onwards, for the next few sutras, one by one, all the afflictions will be taken off, will be taken, and it will be elaborated, it will be defined and elaborated. So 
let us go to the fifth sutra to find have the definition of the first affliction the agyana the ignorance so how it has been defined let us go to the definition the fifth sutra anitya ashuchi dukha anatmasu nitya shuchi sukha atmakhyati avidya so what is this for anitya anything which is temporal which is not permanent which is non eternal is anitya it is considered to be nitya in because of ignorance we take them to be permanent anitya is considered to be nitya ashuchi all the impure things are considered to be pure ashuchi is considered to be shuchi all the things which is going to result in dukha suffering we take them to be the cause of sukha and anatma the things which in which myself is not there just my relation with them makes me feel that it is as if myself ahamta mamata that being in relation to something we will find that in the moment of crisis everything can be relinquished but not your own psychophysical existence that is the strongest bond we have is that this as we get identified with it with the sense of amness as if i am this body i am this mind so this is been spoken of as agyana so that is the definition so first they speak of the four uh, facts of life anitya ashuchi dukha anatma that what else has been projected by the prakriti they are all anitya they are all ashuchi they are all full of suffering they don't have the self in it so that is anitya is temporal ashuchi is impure dukha is the suffering in life anatma the non self in all the evolutes of prakriti that is been considered respectively as nitya shuchi sukha atma khyati means knowledge that my knowledge which is a distorted knowledge is that on, on all the temporal things i take it to be permanent to be something eternal all the things which is impure i take it to be pure all the things which cause misery in life i take them to be the ultimate source of happiness and everything which in which there is no self is the projection of self makes them feel to be conscious to be something conscious i take them to be the conscious principle itself and that has been defined as avidya the ignorance so this anitya as nitya is constantly happening i you know that long back i read a very nice interesting uh, analogy that a elderly person has the habit of going for morning walk every day and because of the unpredictable weather conditions he always has an umbrella in his hand and that umbrella is with him for decades maybe for 20 years and whomever he meets he brags this is the umbrella how i have taken care of it with 20 years it's with me in india you know this uh, this example most probably here you won't understand because here a little defect we throw away in india the habit is they will go for repair again and again the same thing 
but that for 20 years actually what has happened that person has actually changed the ribs that the rims of the umbrella at certain point of time at certain point of time the cloth was changed at certain point of time the stick was changed so nothing of the original umbrella remains it was constantly changing one after the other but he has the impression that it is the old umbrella so that's what is constantly happening we our body is in a constant flux not a single cell of your body with which you were born is there surviving at present even in biology they say that every 8 to 9 years in within 8 to 9 years all the cells which are there at present will die and the new cells will be there and a very wonderful thing if you go to jagannath mahaprabhu's temple at puri every 12 years there is a particular ceremony where the old vigraha the old image of jagannath mahaprabhu which is made of daru of wood is given samadhi and a new image is installed they say nava kalevar dharana the mahaprabhu has taken the new body every 12 years so what's the significance the same significance this 12 years is called one yuga so even in the olden days the idea was there this body is constantly changing we are as if renewing ourselves it's not only the snake that just removes its skin for us also it's happening this body is a flow but somehow we have the idea is the same body with which we are continuing it's constant in a mode of flux constantly changing constantly flowing nothing is permanent i still remember long back in one of our centers a young boy used to come i was there in that center to meet an elderly swami and the young boy was from a rich family and the boy by himself had no such endeavor to really get established in life he was leading quite an easy going life so the elderly monk one day asked him that what are you doing with your life won't you try won't you endeavor to get established and immediately that young boy that young lad started saying my father has a huge bank deposit he has he has a, i am the only son and there's a huge house there's a, he has constructed a huge house there's a const there's a good sustenance for me what is the need for me to endeavor what is the need for me everything is permanent i have permanent bank balance i have permanent house and the swami was smiling when he just stopped speaking the swami asked yes i do understand you have a permanent house you have permanent bank balance and then he asked with a very mischievous smile are you permanent so that's the thing so everything is permanent for him so swami ji asked that are you permanent so that somehow that this is the idea which we all know but it never strikes the way we lead our life if i ask you you will say yes one day we are going to die and we may say yes i am quite aware of it but are we really aware of it because each and every moment the way we are leading the life it speaks it's not what i'm speaking that speaks the real thing which speaks is the way i'm living the life even in the life of holy mother we find his two younger brothers one day had a terrible fight 
on the demarcation of their land. One brother was erecting a fence. The other brother felt the fence was bit inside his property. And it started and they started quarreling and they were almost on the, were about to come in blows when Holy Mother herself had to go and stop them. They were almost going to have some physical blows. And at the beginning, Holy Mother was excited as she had to go and stop them almost forcefully. And after that, she came back, sat relaxed. He was sitting, she was sitting relaxed and she suddenly started laughing loudly. Always surprised, what happened? Why she is laughing so loudly? Just a few moments back, she was so agitated. What happened? What made? And then that nice comment, very simple comment. It's, you know, there's all these avatars, what's the distinction between them and us? It's not that they are very highly intellectual. The most uncommon thing in this world is the common sense. And that common sense is something very keen in them. Holy Mother, after the retiring back, was laughing. And then he remarked, what was the remark? That this land will remain. It, it was there for ages. It is going to remain for ages. These two fools are going to die another 50 years after at the most. And they're just fighting, saying, this is my land and that is your land. So that's the I, that's Agyana. Because of the ignorance, all our fight as per the nations, as per uh, our, uh, what you said, if what to speak of just neighbors, even the nations are fighting. And all things are the evolutes of that Agyana. That is, is something permanent with which my existence is inseparable. And that creates all the conflicts in life. So that's has been spoken of as anitya as nitya, ashuchi as shuchi. You know, this our beauty is so-called just on the skin covering, just remove it. Everything, nothing, we ourselves will be rippled by our own bodies if we can just see what's scan and see what's there inside. It's so skin deep. But somehow. We are infatuated with that. My own, the skin deep beauty by other skin deep beauty. We forget this body is extremely filthy. If anyone brings a very nice package, very nicely packed, a, a gift box for you, nicely scented. And somehow you come to know that inside the package, it is all filth. Would you ever even feel to go near it? Even won't even feel to go near it. So, please take it away. You won't even feel to get near it. So, in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, there is a very nice analogy which Sri Ramakrishna is giving. He says that a, a traveler was extremely thirsty. He was passing through the desert and then he saw a caravan coming and in the caravan, a person was having the, what they say that is that, uh, uh, that water skin, means the leather bag inside which water is there. So as he was thirsty, so now he asked uh, that I'm thirsty, would you please give me some water? So the person was agreeable. He was about to give him water. He told, wait, 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 wait. He wanted to be sure whether the water skin is clean, 
after all it's made of leather. This is an analogy from the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And the one who was having that water skin, he asked, he told, very interesting, sir, my water skin is very clean. Is your water skin king clean? That's what he asked. Means by that he meant that the body, which apparently looks to be so beautiful, that skin, beneath that, all sorts of fills are there. So he's asking that my, this water skin bag is quite clean. Is your water skin bag clean? Where you're going to pour the water? So this is the basic idea. The external beauty with which 90% of the advertisement in the TV you will find deals with that. It's just with the beauty of your external, that skin deep beauty. For that so many advertisement, your hair conditioner and your all sorts of lotions, shampoos and all those things. It's all the infatuation with the external. And we take it, we take it to be as if the very pure, very agreeable something, but it is actually extremely disagreeable. So why Yoga Sutra is indicating that? After all, its aim is to grow dispassion. More than indicating the fact, it is actually trying to develop that motivation that we should not be so infatuated with our own bodies or with the others' bodies. It in no way is going to help us spiritually. What to speak of that? Even in our day-to-day life, it can make you highly obsessive, which is not even agreeable to the so-called a civic society. So you find that that's what the thing Yoga Sutra is indicating. It's not just speaking of the fact by Make, bringing the awareness about the fact by making us aware of the fact it is actually indicating it is actually trying to develop that motivation that we should be to certain extent dispassionate towards our extreme infatuation towards this external physical appearance physical beauty so a shuchi is taken as shuchi dukkha is taken as sukha all the so-called sukha at last ends up in dukkha. As we told again and again, a very interesting thing. In this life, if you translate dukkha as misery, sometimes it may appear to be a pessimistic attitude. Actually, dukkha doesn't literally means misery. It means dissatisfaction. Now you may say misery is dissatisfaction, same, but it's not the same. Just to give an example, when you are relishing the delicacy which you like most, you're relishing and someone comes and asks you, are you feeling miserable? You will say, of course not. But the next question, are you satisfied? Now a big question mark is there in your mind because you find you have already developed the craving for the second serving. So now you will understand misery and dissatisfaction are not the same. That I may be enjoying something, but at the same time, the craving for it has already developed. So I never feel satisfied. I always want more and more and more. It is like a hedonistic treadmill. In a treadmill, you go nowhere. 
though you are running, you're running in the same place. In this life, that's what happens when we are chasing after the sense of pleasures of life. It's ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of show. This is the lines from Swami Vivekananda's poem. Ever running and never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of show. It's the hedonistic, hellish treadmill. Just in a treadmill, the way you run, you go nowhere. So this all this chase for pleasure is like that hedonistic treadmill. Why happens if we really try to find out the nature of all the so-called sensitive pleasures of life? It's actually the Prakriti's tool to sustain itself. It's, its happiness is used as a tool to sustain itself. The happiness is in no way something which Prakriti wants to give us. It is luring us to make us do certain things by which it is sustained. Just to, just to understand that the basic idea behind all the so-called sensitive pleasures of life. Now all the sensitive pleasures of life at last can be boiled down into three desires, three eshanas, as has been spoken of in our scriptures. Putraishana, Vittaishana, Yashaishana. Into these three eshanas, I can boil down. We just try to analyze any of your pleasures. At last, it will fit in in any either of in any of these three categories. This desire for progeny, it speaks of the procreation, desire for wealth, and desire for name and fame. Now you will find all the three are actually related to the sustenance of nature. For procreation, we need not have to explain. Yes, through procreation, through the next generation, the nature continues. I will die, but the nature will continue through the next generation. Wealth, to that also we can, to a certain extent, understand that unless I sustain myself, I cannot think of progeny. So wealth also in this dash to a certain extent related with sustenance of the nature. I sustain myself and that with the, I sustain my progeny and that way the nature continues. And then so we say name and fame, how it has to, what it has to do with the propagation of nature. It also has to do with the propagation of nature. Uh, just take in the animal kingdom first. And then we will try to understand as a human being. In the animal kingdom, what is happening? Constantly you will find that the male lion, it has its own territory. And it won't allow any other male lion to be in that territory. It has declared that to be its territory. And there will be fearsome battle if someone comes. There, the question of Nama Jasha comes there itself in the animal kingdom. Why? If I can prove to be sufficiently strong than others, and I can force others out, then I have the chance to propagate my genes for the next generation. So the same thing happens in your in us also that after all all the education your attempt to get established in life at last has something to do with the marriage through which you will be having 
the chance to propagate your genes to the next generation. So if you can prove yourself to be a worthy, your chance of getting your, this, uh, what you say, this, the mate, the call, uh, that, 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 that is more that gets, that you get a prosperity, you get a biodata there as if a, a enhanced profile. So to certain extent, you will find all these three asanas have something to do with the propagation of the nature. Now, what nature has done is very interesting thing. To make us do something by which nature is sustained, it has created the happiness as a tool. If you try to find out the nature of the so-called happiness, you will find it is just a tool. It is in no way giving us happiness. How? That any creature, including human being, when our ashana is fulfilled, either it is putraishana or it is vittaishana or it is yashaishana, the ashana for name and fame, the moment it is fulfilled, you find your happiness has reached the peak. But very interesting, it doesn't remain there. It immediately evaporates. Why? If after having your food, which you enjoy most, if after that you never, if that happiness doesn't evaporate, you will never go for the second meal. You will be in samadhi, ecstasy. That will continue. And in the, in the process, you will starve and die. So to sustain nature, it has to evaporate. It evaporates. But the third thing is very important. We always remember the peak, that it evaporates. That's also a fact, but it never re remains in my mind. Whenever I am going to have my next delicacy, I forget that when I had my the same delicacy previously, it was just a matter of time. Just as long as it was in it was in my mouth, I was just chewing it, I was salivating it, but pleasure was there. Immediately it was gone. I am supposed to remember that, but it never remembers. We remember keep that in mind. We always remember the ecstasy, the peak. You always forget the evaporation. Because if we that evaporation also remains in mind, that will be a demotivating factor. Nature doesn't want that. So first. It gives the peak, then there's evaporation, and then you find we always remember the peak. And we always remember the uh, this flowery side of it. When a thief is going to steal something, it never thinks it is going to get going to get caught. So all the motivations you will find are always is the nature has built us in such a way, we always remember the only the positive aspect of it. If we if negative aspect we remember, then we won't get feel motivated. So the nature to lure us has devised in such a way. Not only that, whenever we are in pursuit of sensed pleasures of life, you will find another interesting thing. The anticipation gives a lot of happiness. It's not when you are in it. Just think the joy when you thought you are going to get a lead, a start a family life. Oh, what a terrible happiness. And when you are in it, <laughs> So many of us, the 90% of the people will be complaining that, oh, it was a big conspiracy. So what has happened? The same thing that when you are anticipating, it gives a tremendous joy. No one, but in, the, in this world, yeah, that's though so much dissatisfaction in the family life sometimes we find, but not a single person would have gone there if they would have taken, if they would have known that this is going to happen. 
even if they're seeing it, it's, it's a something common thing, but they think for me, I am the one who is going to win the lottery. For me, the life is going to be very nice. And how, why it happens? The anticipation always gives happiness. Even what to speak of the marriage and the entire life, just take a single meal that you have planned to go to the restaurant to enjoy your delicacy. Now, when you're already in the restaurant, you will find by that time that you have reached a plateau, that tremendous thrill from the morning which you are feeling has gone. You're yet to, you have, you have ordered the food, you're yet to get the food, but the thrill has gone. From the morning, the thrill you were feeling is no more there. Why? Because the nature's work is done. Through anticipation, it has already motivated you. Now, where, when you are already in it, the nature has no need to now give you happiness because it has already motivated you. So there is more happiness in anticipation than in the real act. Why we are saying all those things? To really find out the nature of so-called happiness, which actually at last ends in dissatisfaction. It never really is meant to give us happiness. It is, has been devised by the nature as a tool to make us do something. Just, it is just, it is just holding us by our neck and making us do something by luring us with something which is called happiness. We never get it. So that's why it is ever luring us. We are ever running, never reaching. This endless, endless chase is going on life after life. In the words of Shankaracharya, this is the cycle of Ajnana Kama Karma. From ignorance, the desires come. And from that actions result, that actions creates latent impression that again forces me to do the same thing. And that goes on from life after life, Ajnana Kama Karma. Swami Vivekananda used to give a nice example. He used to say, do you know what sort of condition is like? In the olden days in the village, to make the bull grind the, the to ox grind the oil, that one stone will be revolving over the other and all the oil seeds will be between the two stones. And in the process of revolving, the oil seeds will be grinded and the oil will be crushed out. So that's the process. Now, how to make the ox move round and round? Now, to have a person constantly chasing that ox, it can be quite tiresome throughout the day. One has to be behind it. So, in the olden days, they devised a very nice plan. What's that? They used to tie one stick on the head of the ox. And in front of the stick, they will hang some straw. Now, this ox is in constant chase for those few straws which are hanging in front of the stick. It goes on moving. The straw also is moving and it's on and on. The oil is being crushed out from the oil seeds. So that's how nature has actually devised this plan. All your so-called Asianas. Sometimes we are so proud of us that our degrees and qualifications, that's like, they are just like the tail of the ox. With all constantly like the ox, we are chasing Putra Ishana, Vitta Ishana. And it is also moving and we never get it. And even if we get it, it's just for instant. It's just like Swamiji says, very interesting that we are all in spiritual sense, all children. And he used to use the word mustached babed, babe. Means we have physically grown, we have mustache, but we are all babies. 
eternal suckling babes. These are the very, very strong words used by Swamiji that just as a small baby, that it cries, the mother gives something to suckle and it stops for the time being, again it cries. So that's how the nature is just giving us something to suckle to pacify us for the time being, but our eternal crying is going on. That want is never satisfied. So this is the nature we all with our common sense can understand. But we think this chasing after the sensitive process of life is going to give me happiness. We never understand however we try to rationalize, we find ultimately that's, that's that headlong we are going for that. And that again is the agyana, that to see sukha in dukkha. Even the, all the so-called pleasures of life, ultimately parinama is dukkha. It is going to end up in happiness. The more intense is your happiness, the more intense is your suffering. Because all the happiness, after all, is your association with a desired object, which is not going to be eternal. It has to depart. In Bhagavata, very nice one sloka is there, that all our relations are like what? It's like a particles of thermocol flowing down the stream. Suddenly two thermocol pieces come together, flows together for some time, it separates. And when we are just for that moment, we are just going together, we think that we are going to be there eternally. But the plan of the nature is such, it is just a momentary association. It's like the pieces of thermocol. We suddenly come together, stay sometime for, some, for just a few moments together, again we depart. Some other particle, uh, other thermocol particle comes and meets with me. That's what is happening with the life. Who is my father? Who is my mother in this life? Uh, it's, it's, again, in the next birth, who will be my father? Who will be my mother? Who will be my relatives, my friends, my uh, wife, my children? It's all matter of chance in the flow of the nature. I don't know, but we take them to be something as if eternal, and they're going to give us eternal happiness. But constantly this is changing, and that is bound to give suffering. The more intense is our happiness in conjugation, the more intense is our misery in separation. And that's the thing which has been spoken of in the Yoga Sutras again and again is indicating the scripture is not there to discourage us. It is just there to make us aware of the fact of life and be prepared for the so-called battle. It's a great battle where we have to prepare ourselves if we are not to perish. We have to prepare beforehand. It is just equipping us to fight this battle of life in a very, very uh, controlled, with full control over the situation so that it is we who should win. It's not the nature which should overwhelm us. We should be in control of the situation. So that's why it is indicating all these facts of life. So Dukkha is taken as Sukha. So this first we just we spoke of the Parinama and you know the, the Tapa, this Tapa, this in, we will be studying this in the 15th Sutra in details that how Dukkha is taken as Sukha. There are four reasons as Mr. the main reasons. The first is Parinama, which we spoke of the concept change, constantly everything is changing. Nothing is, we are going to have a conjunction, which we take that is, I'm going to be with all these relations eternally. So that is a Parinama. It's like a sugar coated quinine. 
for the time being it appears to be sweet you go on suckling and then the bitter test comes out so that's the parinama tapa even when you are enjoying constantly you are aware of the fact that i am not going to have it eternally there is viraha waiting for me the rich man is constantly afraid of losing his wealth a healthy person is always afraid of losing his health becoming old the most beautiful model is always afraid that after a few years my beauty is gone and that's the thing the world you will find even when you are in enjoying that tapa is there constant fear is there samskara a fresh craving is arising from the impressions of happiness there's a wonderful shloka in the bhagavata na jatu kama kamanam upabhogena shamyati havisha krishna vartmeva bhuya eva abhivardate that desires are like the fire just the way you cannot satiate the fire by go by putting fuel on it that you put the fuel it flares up you think oh it needs a bit more fuel then it will be satiated the more you put fuel the more it flares up and that's why it is called anala the word anala is very significant in sanskrit alam is a pratyay which means enough suppose you are having your delicacy some delicacy which you enjoy the first serving after the first serving someone comes and serves you the second serving you are happy with it the third serving still you can somehow continue now he comes for the fourth so with the both the hands you stop him no more in sanskrit they say alam enough so but in fire fire there is no alam so to negate alam it is called an alam analam analam means that which is never satiated there is no satiation our desires are like that fire the more you try to fulfill it the more it flares up the more it becomes stronger the more it overpowers you so that's the thing that those the one who thinks let me just satiate my desires and then i will be at peace for them it is going to become an obsession and it is not going to give them any peace so that's the sanskara is growing more and more strong and gunavritti just we told that constantly that first we think that it gives us happiness then it evaporates and then that from anticipation we get happiness this constantly the gunas are changing it never in real sense give me a permanent happiness so that's how in the uh commentary they are still elaborating it to say that how this dukkha is taken as sukha that what's the real nature of dukkha that has been described there and then uh, the next thing is anatma is taken as atma what is anatma is taken as atma that you take our this this my own body as if my own self first attachment comes to the body and then it is projected something external my relations my belongings with that i feel that mamatva that it is there's me and mine that these are the things which constitutes me but you will find at the time of crisis how these shells of projections of your amnes is falling off our rangarathanda ji our 13th president so he is to relate a very nice incident in his own life 
as a young swami he was in rangoon posted in rangoon and you know that after the independence that all the so called uh, foreign citizens who were there for some work or something or uh, they were just the resident there they were all asked to leave the country that Myanmar is only for the Burmese, not for anyone else. And we had a Ramakrishna mission had a center. It's still there. It's run by the few devotees who are still continuing there. But in those days, as per the regulation of the new government, we had to leave the center and come back. So all the Swamis also had to leave the center and come back at that time. And all the Indians, they became refugees. So they were all returning. There was no bloodshed. They, were, they just gave time that you leave the country within this period. So now all started their journey with as much luggage as they can carry. So many things they thought is that mamatwa is mine. My amnes was linked with all those things. On the way, the treacherous journey, after some time they got exhausted, they sat down and they realized there was such a huge luggage they cannot continue. Now again, they opened up their luggage and thought what are non-essentials. So some things they left it on the road itself. Now this few things, even without that, I can do without it. With the remaining, let me continue my journey. After some time, again, they got exhausted. That also appeared to be that's too heavy. They went on shedding of their load in the keeping the things, the things which we thought without which they cannot leave their life with which they cannot sustain themselves one by one they were shedding off at last when they crossed the border and came to india as refugees they were there just they carried their body nothing else everything they have to shed off so why we are saying that that that's how we go on projecting ourselves in so many things which is actually anatma we can do without them but we think without that, which we cannot do that, that there's a very silver line between want and need. You know that very interesting. When I was in training center, Belurmat, there was no ceiling fan. So we were mentally prepared from this in the center we had now for the training. When we went, we know we had, we had a mentally preparation that so this two years, it is a austerity for us in that, uh, so, you know, they, this, so much uh, humidity is there, the silting heat of Calcutta. In that, for two years, we have to stay without ceiling fan. And because in those days, it was considered a, as a luxury. And now in training center, they have the fan. Since the way the year we left the training center, after that, the fan is there. The reason why the fan was installed, that it is no more a luxury. The children, when they're born, from then the fan is over there on the, on the top of the head. In India, the power cut is there. You know, the small children, the small child, the infant is sleeping. And that when they, because of the power cut, the fan stops, immediately it starts crying because it has got habituated. As a small child, it is there from his very birth. So it is no more a luxury. It is no more a want. It has become a need. So that way, the need, this constantly our wants are becoming need. And we think that life is impossible without them. So for a billionaire, a one million uh, just dollar, when one million dollar is remaining, a billionaire may commit suicide thinking that he has become poor, which may be a fortune for some other person. 
So the idea is that, that this to go on projecting on the unessentials as something which without which I cannot live. They're as if a part of my existence. And that again is Ajnana. So you will find the basic idea is not just to speak of the facts. To, it is just pointing out, is making us aware of the facts so that in a spiritual sense, we develop the detachment more and more so that the afflictions can be reduced in life. Because of the ignorance, the other affliction follows. The more we are aware of this fact and we can guide our life in such a way that all these delusions cannot may not delude me, may not infatuate me. I should be aware of them. And yes, I need wealth. I need, uh, what you say, that the, uh, to be in the relations, everything. But with that awareness, if we can grow detachment, then the afflictions won't be some intense. It won't be as keen as a person who is totally infatuated, not having any awareness of these facts. So it's always to have the awareness of the real dimension of our existence can save us. That practice the spirituality even a little. It can save us from the great fear. This total infatuation can lead to terrible misery. misery. Even if we may not be totally spiritually illumined, even these facts of life, if we gradually try to internalize them, they make us more and more equipped to deal with the challenges of life in a much better way. And that's why, that's the indication of the scripture. It is not actually hating something. It is just creating an awareness so that we can develop more and more detachment so that we can equip ourselves in our spiritual journey. Not only that, we can face the challenges of life in a better equipoised manner. So that's what has been spoken of as avidya. And the next uh, is uh, this asmita. The sixth sutra will speak of the asmita, the ego, which results from avidya, from ignorance. What is that? Drik darshana shaktayo ekatmata eva asmita. So because of ignorance, once the conjunction has happened, Drik, the one who is the seer, and Darshan, the thing which is sin, the instrument of sin, this appears to be identified the same. The Purusha thinks itself to be the Buddhi, the Buddha thinks itself, Buddhi thinks itself to be the conscious principle. So this conjunction creating the limited sense of individuality, that this psychophysical existence is me that my amnes gets limited to that. That has been spoken of as the asmita. So purusha is the absolute awareness while buddhi is the cognition principle. And it is the instrument of knowing. But looking upon the two as the same is the affliction known as asmita. As we gave that example at the beginning, a red flower in, in the proximity of the prism, the prism appears to be red. Nothing has changed, but because of its proximity, the tingeness, that redness, is as if superimposed on that prism and it appears to be red. Similarly, the Purusha appears to be just tinged with the Prakriti by its association with it. And that's what results in Asmita. 
And it's again, the cause of affliction that as we give, give the example of that microbe, that how it gets afflicted, the consciousness is afflicted the moment it is getting associated with even that small, minute, small, minutely small body. For me, the micro has as if no life, but for the micro, that is the be all and end all of his existence. That being microbe is the only thing which is of importance for that microbe, nothing else. That conscious principle has be becomes pitied, miserable by its identification with that minuscule, minuscule small body. There's a wonderful story which Sri Ramakrishna again and again indicates in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. In the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, will find that it's he is actually referring to a mythological story when God descended as Varaha, as a, in a pig body he came to kill the Hiranya, Hiranya, Hiranyaksha, the demon Hiranyaksha. After killing, there was no need to remain in that boar's body. It could, it, it could have gone back to its own splendor self. But in the meantime, it has developed a family. That is the, the, the soul is there, the small engyongs are there. And it was quite happy with that. The Shiva and the other devas were concerned. Someone came and told that you are the, uh, the Lord of the universe and your purpose in this body has been served. What's the need to continue in this body? He told, I am quite satisfied, don't disturb me. And Shiva had to come and pierce the body with a trident. And then the Lord came out with a smile. Oh, what a delusion, what a delusion. And then after telling this story, Ramakrishna is saying this, this Mayar uh, Fadepore, this this Panchabhuter Fadepore, Brahmu Kade. Means even the Brahman cries by getting ensnared in Maya. That's what has happened. We all are that conscious principle getting ensnared in this ignorance. The Asmita has developed, which is resulting in all the afflictions. That story, which we were just as an analogy to understand that we were telling, that in a movie theater. The movie was going on and suddenly the movie was stopped and there was an announcement. It was the announcement that the parking lot, the multi-layered parking lot in which you have parked the car at one of the corner, it has caught fire. Now we don't know who has parked the car in the vicinity of it. It may be anyone's car. So it's better the movie be interrupted and you please move out and search out whether it's your car or not and immediately vacate the parking lot. All were concerned. They were running, thinking it's most probably his or her car that has caught fire. On reaching, they found that the fire, though there was a fire, it is yet it was yet to uh, just, uh, I mean, yet to get, uh, yet to uh, put into ash any of the cars. The cars were not affected by the fire. It was in one corner. So they were relieved. They could just move out of the parking lot without being affected. But what made them so concerned? They thought that it's most probably their car which has caught fire. So what we, have, what we want to intend to say that we have parked the car ourselves as if it's a car in the parking lot, which is this body mind senses. And now when the body mind sense is in fire, we think we are in fire. 
and the parking lot is in fire, I think my car is in fire. Why? We have parked it there. The story of the Narcissus, which we say that the Narcissus, the beautiful prince who was so infatuated by his beauty was constantly used to see his own image in the reflection of the water. And he was infatuated by it so much that one day he jumped thinking it to be real in the water. He just drowned and died. And that's what has happened with us spiritual, in spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. Narcissistic means one who is self-possessed. Just like Narcissus, he was possessed by his own beauty. So we are all self-possessed. The self, the Purusha, seeing its reflection in the body-mind complex has jumped into it and drowned in it as if, and is in this quagmire of Maya. It is as if a spiritual death, just like Narcissus. And that is been spoken of as the Asmita. And the next sutra speaks of the next evolute of asmita this raga dvesha abhinivesha the seventh eighth ninth will one by one define this raga dvesha abhinivesha so we will take up take them up these sutras and just the uh, as in the commentary they are going in with our explanation we will just go with the discussion uh, uh, again in the next class we will continue the discussion of raga Dvesha, Abhinesha, their definition and the elaboration in the commentary we will take up again in the next class. So with this, we uh, just conclude today's discussion. Thank you. Namaskar Swamiji. Thank you. Good ah, night. Namaskar. Good night. Namaskar Swamiji. Namaskar.